Hello and welcome to what I'm going to call Series 2 of the IT Governance Podcast. As this is the first one since our 2015 to 2019 run, which I doubt any of you will remember much about, a brief bit of housekeeping before we start. This series of short podcasts aims to be a fortnightly digest of the latest cybersecurity and data privacy news, coupled with some informal chats with our experts about some of the pertinent issues facing organisations today. I imagine that most of you will be familiar with IT Governance Limited, but if you're not, our expertise covers a wide range of IT governance, risk management and compliance disciplines. We provide products and services for organisations of all types and sizes, so whatever your resources or level of expertise, we can help you implement and maintain a defence-in-depth approach to security that helps keep your organisation secure while meeting its compliance and other business objectives. So, if there's anything in particular that you'd like to hear about, please get in touch, either by leaving a comment on the blog or via Twitter at ITGovPod, and we'll do our best to cover what you want to listen to. ITGovPod, by the way, is my account. I'm not great at tweeting for work, but I am going to make an effort. Honest. The official IT Governance account is at ITGovernance. Last but not least, I should perhaps also warn you that the sound quality might be a bit ropey at times, because I, like so many people post-pandemic, now work from home, so I can only apologise if birdsong and the distant rumble of passing traffic intrudes. On the subject of homeworking, later on we'll be talking about the security risks associated with hybrid and remote working, but first, let's crack on with the news. The US Federal Trade Commission has ordered Twitter to pay a $150 million, approximately £119 million, fine for using more than 140 million customers' personal data without their consent to send them targeted advertising. In violation of the FTC Act and a 2011 FTC order that prohibited the social media giant from misleading consumers about the extent to which it protects the security, privacy and confidentiality of non-public consumer information. According to the FTC, Twitter asked users to give their phone numbers and email addresses to protect their accounts. The firm then profited by allowing advertisers to use this data to target specific users. A complaint filed by the Department of Justice on behalf of the FTC explains that Twitter started asking users for a phone number or email address in 2013 to improve account security, both to enable multi-factor authentication and to receive password reset messages. However, as the FTC explains, Twitter failed to mention that this information would also be used to allow advertisers to target specific ads to specific consumers by matching the information with data they already had or had obtained from data brokers. As well as the $150 million penalty, the order prohibits Twitter from profiting from deceptively collected data and requires it to allow users to use multi-factor authentication methods that don't require them to provide their phone numbers, notify users that it misused their phone numbers and email addresses for targeted advertising, implement and maintain a comprehensive privacy and information security program, limit employee access to user data, and notify the FTC if it experiences a data breach. Twitter has agreed to the terms of the order. Talking of Twitter, Mike Winkleman, who's known as Beeple, is the digital artist behind some of the world's most popular non-fungible tokens. He recently discovered that he'd fallen victim to a Twitter scam that's netted the attackers behind it more than £56,000 worth of cryptocurrency. Criminals hacked Beeple's Twitter account and then tweeted a phishing link that took money from the crypto wallets of anyone who clicked it. It's unclear how many of Beeple's hundreds of thousands of followers were caught out by the scam, which claimed to be a raffle giving away works from the artist's collaboration with Louis Vuitton. Beeple first worked with the fashion brand in 2019 and has created more than 700 pieces, with the most expensive selling for 350 Ethereum, about £550,000. 
According to Harry Denley, a security expert of the cryptocurrency wallet Metamask, the bogus site promoted on Beeple's Twitter account didn't use the traditional phishing method of encouraging users to hand over their login details, which the attackers could then use to compromise their accounts. Instead, anyone who followed the link was effectively consenting to a transfer of one Ethereum, £1,500, to an account controlled by the attackers. This attack method is potentially less lucrative than compromising accounts because it puts a cap on the amount of cryptocurrency that can be drained. However, it is more likely to work because it only requires users to follow a link rather than enter their login details. Intuit, the tax software provider that runs QuickBooks, has warned customers about phishing emails purporting to be from the company. Its warning follows several reports from users who said they'd received emails claiming that their QuickBooks accounts had been suspended as a result of a failed business information review. The fraudulent message reads, We're writing to let you know that after conducting a review of your business, we've been unable to verify some information on your account. For that reason, we've put a temporary hold on your account. If you believe that we've made a mistake, we'd like to remedy the situation as quickly as possible. To help us effectively revisit your account, please complete the below verification form. Once verification has been completed, we'll re-review your account within 24 to 48 hours. Users are then directed to click a button that says Complete Verification. However, doing so redirects you to a website that mimics QuickBooks' login page. Anyone who enters their login credentials there will instead be providing them to the attackers behind the phishing campaign. If you're a QuickBooks user and you receive one of these emails, think before you click. And you can find out more about phishing at idgovernance.co.uk slash phishing. The Turkish airline Pegasus has suffered a data breach in which 6.5 terabytes of data was exposed thanks to a misconfigured Amazon Web Services bucket. According to the Safety Detective's cybersecurity team, the unsecured bucket contained information linked to electronic flight bag software that pilots use for aircraft navigation, takeoff and landing, refueling, safety procedures and various other in-flight processes. Other affected information is known to have included personal information relating to Pegasus crew members, the EFB software's source code, including plain text passwords and secret keys that could be used to access sensitive files. In all, almost 23 million files were left publicly accessible. Safety detectives discovered the unsecured AWS bucket on the 28th of February and notified Pegasus Airlines the following day. They managed to make contact with Pegasus EFB, the company affiliated with Pegasus Airlines that owns the AWS bucket, on the 24th of March, whereupon the bucket was secured. That was the news. Now, hybrid working, a mixture of remote and on-site working, has been the norm for many since the COVID lockdowns, but the security issues associated with a widely dispersed workforce remain a challenge for many organisations. Earlier, Cami caught up with our Information Security Manager Adam Siemens to discuss hybrid security risks and what to do about them. What kind of tech should organisations be considering for their hybrid working setups moving forwards? And I suppose, how has this changed or evolved from times BC, as in before COVID, not before Christ? I think this is one of those things that's going to be sort of based around where an organisation is. Some organisations have rapidly moved to the cloud. Some of them have looked at things like VPNs, so they can access their on-premises environments um, remotely and from anywhere in the world. So I think we're going to see probably an evolution of companies that are either moving directly to the cloud or probably companies that are looking at um, VPN solutions, moving away from the traditional on-premise appliances, more to sort of like cloud-based um, uh, VPNs that allow them to access uh, their infrastructure. But I think we're going to get also a, a hybrid setup where there are going to be 
some people that still need those on-prem uh, data centers in their offices um, and then also have a, a reliance on the cloud as well for certain features too. Um, so I think I think that's probably the direction of travel at the moment. Obviously, things are sort of still up in the air um, and, you know, technology evolves. So, yeah, I, I think that's where we're going at the moment. Yeah, because I mean, as you say, it's kind of different for every organisation. And when this all kicked off, I mean, you had there were huge differences in how organisations approached the home working setup. Some had employees just working from their personal laptops, then others made their employees and we suffer with a tech and application overload. Is there kind of a better approach or as, as you say, is it better? Does it depend on the organization? Is less is more with more integrated applications better or does that compromise security? Is there an ideal setup for both the organization and the employee? I think it needs to be user focused and sort of process focused. So there are always going to be certain uh, people um, and generations in the workplace that are more comfortable with technology, more comfortable with working remotely, more comfortable picking up technology. There's also going to be other people and more traditional industries such as the heavy industries, manufacturing mm -hmm. and things where those things are not going away. You can't have car manufacturing done from home, um, but they still need computers. So, you know, then there's other technologies such as banking, uh, website development, things like that. Those things can definitely continue working from home. So, and obviously those are those are two very different kind of skill sets. So mm. I think a lot of what's going to happen is it's going to be a case of if it's going to be user focused. How can technology meet the 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 kind of the requirements of those different sort of user groups? And I think that's going to be where the split is. There's going to probably be a move back to the sort of traditional users um, that are based in those locations. They, I would guess, will have sort of a similar kind of setup as they've got already. Um, I think technology needs to meet the the user requirements um, and also the security requirements as opposed to kind of overloading people. Um, a lot of COVID has meant that we've had to rapidly deploy new things that people aren't necessarily familiar with or comfortable with, but that's happened out of necessity. And I think there's going to be a level of IT catching up with what the user requirements are as opposed to how the climate has changed. Yeah, no, that's very true. You kind of touched on security there. Do you think we've resolved the security? I mean, obviously, last year there were so many security issues, as you say, because IT was catching up with kind of how we worked as opposed to the other way around. Have we resolved those security issues that sort of remote work has presented to so many businesses? So I'd say you can never resolve security. It's an ongoing activity. And as businesses evolve, so will the security landscape. So they're going to need to change the way they work because the business is going to have a new need and it's going to explore new areas. And as a result, security needs to kind of change and evolve to support those activities. Um, I think if we if we go back to like the, the CIA, so the confidentiality, the integrity and availability, the pandemic has pushed us to go to availability to make sure that everyone can get what they need. I think what's going to happen though is there's going to need to be a catch up so we can make sure that as well as the availability, the confidentiality and the integrity of those systems and technologies needs to catch up. I see that as kind of the security goals for a lot of people where people have moved to the cloud. Um, they've had to do that very, very quickly. So it's going to be a case of going back, reviewing those decisions, reviewing those configurations, making sure that are they as secure as they need to be, um, you know, 
where they've implemented, hey, we're moving to the cloud, but anyone can get in pretty easily. Maybe we need to lock that down a little bit so just the right people can get in. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the way I, I sort of see these things going. Great. That's awesome. I'm just conscious of time, Adam, but thank you so much for joining me. This is absolutely epic. Thank you, Cami and Adam. Well, that's it for this time. We'll be back in a fortnight, but until then, you can find everything you need to implement and maintain cybersecurity strength in depth on our website, itgovernance.co.uk.